Welcome to the show. We hope you have a blast. Thanks for making time for the Dealer Talk Podcast. Another business leader, here's a penny for your thoughts. This ain't a regular conversation, baby. This that Dealer Talk. Yeah, this that Dealer Talk. What up? Welcome to another episode of the Dealer Talk Podcast. This is your host, Herb Anderson. Thank you so much for tuning in. Charity Ann, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Happy podcast day. I see that you're wearing one of the newer shirts today. I am. Yes. So we're, we are upgrading. <laughs> you know. So um, what's going on? How are you? How's your week? Good. How was your Friday morning meeting? Friday morning meeting was great. Um, there's a couple of managers. We do a group meeting once a month. And it's always fun because there's a couple of managers at some of the other stores that are really, they're really good at motivational stuff. So I like it when they talk. Shout out to Jay. Did you get pumped <laughs> up? Yeah, he's good at it. Yeah, I know. He is really good at it. So, so um, he used this like whole analogy. I guess he got it from a Damon West thing, but if you're in a pot of boiling water, you can be three things. Do you know this one? You can be a carrot, you can be an egg, or you can be a coffee bean. So the carrot, I know the carrot softens. The egg hardens and the coffee bean. What does a coffee bean do when it's in water? I have no clue. I it changes remember. everything around it. It sure does. It doesn't it change, does. but everything else around it does. Wow, that's deep. I like that. Yep. <laughs> so that was, I know. And Jay, then he went a step further and went today. and said, <laughs> I know. He went a step further and said, so what kind of coffee bean do you want to be? A good one or a bad one? Right on. So that's Very what cool. we do in our Friday morning meetings. Well, that's what they're supposed to do, right? Supposed to get you pumped up for the weekend and for the month. And boy, do we need that now more than ever, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's funny, man. It's like, <laughs> sure, these... <laughs> These past couple of years have just done so much psychological warfare. <laughs> I love it. It's, That's a really uh, good way to put it. Wow, it's about to get super interesting. <laughs> but, you know, when you're in the good times. Yep. You're in the good times. You're in the good times. <laughs> what are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like we didn't see it coming. I'm starting to have that feeling. I'm about to get really vulnerable here, but whatever. I'm starting to have that feeling that I had in like 2020 where I was like, oh, shit. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, yeah. Am I going to have, uh, you know, oh, what yeah. I mean? like it's it's getting... There's been a couple of instances in the last week or two where I was like, and more, not just me, but some of the sales guys on the floor have all gone, should we, is this, should we be nervous right now? 
Yeah. It's yeah, been interesting. People are going to start to get fired. Mm -hmm. Strategies are going to start to change. Oh, you're giving me anxiety. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm just saying. Anyway, you're right. What the hell, man? Like the doom and bloom. Everybody that's listening's anxiety just went through the roof, Herb. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, I'm human. I, I have my moments. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about something positive. Um, talk about our sponsor, Four Eyes, for sponsoring another season with us here at the Dealer Talk Podcast. Really appreciate their support. Amazing company. They have, um, um, you know, we've already mentioned the different products that they have, but they, you know, what I really appreciate about them is their ability to um, just think about ways that they can bring more value to, to um, automotive dealerships. And I, I like the fact that they're, flexible and that they um they let you try their products out for free i think that that's huge right you come to your own conclusions you get to test it out if you see that it's um moving the needle for you then great and if not then you can move on so automotive news i um just wanted to talk a little bit about the sad, sad tale of, should we, we, should we call it Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty. But what is it? Carvana. <laughs> Why I is think that? Humpty Dumpty, Humpty Dumpty is a really great example for Carvana. Had a um, great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men. Do you think that they'll climb back up at all? I don't know. That's an interesting do you think first, first of all, like, okay. Um, okay. Here are my thoughts. First, we uh, they were never profitable, right? So as a business model, it's still yet to be proven. I think they only had one quarter where they were on the plus side. Number two, um, as I've said repeatedly on the show, that model is still too early to be considered a threat. Why? Because it, it doesn't have repetition yet. It hasn't been a, around long enough to determine whether that 10% market share, whatever their, their market share is, I, I, don't, I don't really know the numbers, so I don't want to speak out of turn. But if those customers will not repeat their purchasing experience in that way, then, then what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you might be, you might get me one time, but I had such an awful experience that I'll never do that again. I'll never use your company. And their reviews are not the best. So, I mean, there's just a lot of factors. Plus they, they, in my opinion, they did something really smart and really not so smart, which is what, which was acquiring Odessa really smart for their, um, operation for logistics and who knows that's yet to be determined um i mean companies fall and rise all the time so you know i'm not going to write them out completely um it's just the timing was not ideal because now they 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 um acquired a bunch of debt that's on their books and mm -hmm. you're you're having these these um um uh, swings not even swings but you're having this 
this decrease in inventory values and they had over purchased in my opinion and they're, it's just they're just in a really bad situation but um you know they, they have alternatives right they can they have things that they could sell they have people that they can lay off they have you know i don't know if, if anybody would be willing to invest but they could they could try to go to that route i think that that that's probably not going to be an ideal solution during this time okay so um, this is something that i actually don't think i know anything about in the automotive space what happens if your dealership goes under what do you do you just sell everything to the guy next door it just depends on the deal and how it's structured is it a single store you know what i mean is it blue sky do you own the land do you i mean they're just different it's just like any other ways. business yeah um well no i mean and then there's the franchise agreement and all that stuff that needs to be into that you need to take into consideration Does but a dealer right now I think right now it's happening all the time. I think all these bigger groups like Group One and Lithia, um, probably Lithia in particular, they surpassed AutoNation to be the number one, the largest group. Is it the world? I know the U.S. for sure, but um, and by turn maybe the world. I don't know if it's the world, so don't. But definitely the U.S. So they've been acquiring stores like crazy, right? So I think now individual dealers are in a much better position. Probably six months ago, even better because they, you probably weren't going to get a better valuation maybe a year ago. So it's perfect time to settle off if you have one store and get the most money, right? But anyway, back to Carvana. Um, <laughs> so they have options. They have alternatives. They can file for bankruptcy. I mean, they have there's all these different things that they can do, and they still have a bunch of assets. So do you um, think that Carvana will be around in five years? You know what? Everybody should be thinking about Carvana right now, which nobody, I haven't heard a lot of conversations and I know people are going to be like, Oh no, but Amazon is what everybody should be worried about. Amazon buying because now the, the cost of acquisition of Carvana is significantly less. It's super cheap. You can get it for pennies on the dollar. And if Amazon so for was ever, all of the people that work at Amazon that listen to our podcast, don't listen to that part. We're not giving you any ideas. If you were, if Amazon was ever going to get into the game, into the space, this would be the play, in my opinion. Buy Carvana now with Adesa, with the infrastructure, the logistics, and introduce their and take their their model and kind of fuse it with Amazon's model, and oh boy. It would be. Do you think that that's 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 scary? I don't think it's. Here's why I don't think it would happen. Because um, they don't have a servicing model. Amazon or either one. Either one. So how would you? What would you do with the with? Let's say they do buy the 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 they buy it super cheap. Now Amazon is in the game. They're they're they can ship cars everywhere or use cars anyway. Um, but how do you service the cars? Because that's a big portion of the customer journey of the customer experience. So um, and I think I think for that reason alone, Amazon wouldn't do it. 
You know, I used to work at, when I worked at that little tiny independent dealer, they didn't really have a service department at all. They had to like this guy that would check the cars when we bought them. But once you sold it, it was gone. Like they didn't, they didn't come back to us for service at all. I always thought that that was really weird. Um, yeah, I mean, but you, okay. So if you're buying a car, especially from Amazon, right? What, what are they very big on returns and mm -hmm. you know, oh, you don't like your product, give it back. Here's another one or here, you know, refunds, all that stuff with a car. How do you do that? You can't even service the vehicle. So now you're going to have a bunch of pissed off customers that bought a car that broke, you know, two weeks after they purchased the vehicle and they have no alternative for repair. Do and again, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's infrastructures out there where they could mesh like, you know, mobile servicing and things of that nature. Although that's a little bit, you know, for, I know that there's some companies that are doing more and more of that, but you know, it, it, it's still, it's still not something that uh, from an experience standpoint, it's fully cooked in my opinion. Hmm. Okay. Moving but, on. I mean, those are things that could happen, right? I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying these are alternatives that Carvana has, right? They could go and partner up with some more, you know, Google, with some of these tech giants or something that have a bunch of cash capital and, and the, they have the assets and the infrastructure and they can be like, Hey, let's, you know, buy me out for cheap and we'll, we'll keep running this deal. Or I don't know, you know, who knows what kind of partnership can Uber is another one that comes to mind that could potentially, um, could be a, a, a good fit, a good partner. Apparently, this is the anxiety episode where we discuss no. But, <laughs> hey, this is what's happening in our industry, right? So, I mean, look, we gotta we gotta talk about it. Um, Herb singing like the chicken little. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait. Um, did you know that Congress is wanting to delay all of the stipulations on the tax credits now? They're backpedaling. Ooh, why? No, I didn't know. That. I didn't see that at all. Um, <clears throat> um, well, because I don't know. Let me, you tell me yours and I'll read this while we're doing that. Here's one. And I think we, we, we were talking about this, I think two episodes ago. But um, uh, the headline says that as autonomous vehicle technology, technology stalls out, um, oh, jeez, sorry. Okay, as, as driverless car craze uh, technology stalls, uh, startups put tech to new use. And we were talking about this with uh, Guild Boy to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to kind of reference that one because it's pretty interesting and okay so one the premise of that of that question that i asked him on the show was basically do we have the technology right now to be at a level five and all we need to level five autonomy and all we need to do is work on infrastructure and legislation and things of that nature and he um he said no he doesn't believe that we do and so to me that was very um i don't know i really like the f the fact of knowing that because to me it says that in the in our pursuit of it we could come up with new things new technology and this is kind of like the reverse of that 
I mean, what, what about what, okay, let me find a way to phrase this. What could, what technology could be developed from what we've, from the progress we've already made, even if we're not pushing as, as hard as maybe we were a couple of years ago for, for these driver, this driverless technology, you know what I mean? So how, what, not just in the automotive space, but just in general, like how could that be put to use? Like, I think we talked in that episode about uh, Amazon's technology or Amazon's push with robotics and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, do um, deliveries through robots or, or and things of that nature. Yeah. So um, that's that's a very interesting, um, I don't know, side effect, if you will, of our industry and what could come of that. Um, you know, and uh, how can that kind of bleed into other industries and what technologies can 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 be developed from that? I thought that was pretty cool. Do you have any thoughts about that? I think that the residual, it makes me think of, we looked up a statistic once, the amount of people that worked in residual, residual or um, satellite industries from the automotive industry, you know, like companies that make foam or companies that make the parts for the company that makes the foam, that kind of, that's obviously its own field of study that fascinates the hell out of me. But yeah, I like to imagine the, the residual impact of Who knows? Yeah, that's about that. Okay, so here's one. Um, should you buy a car in 2022? Here's what consumers need to know to best uh, to beat, excuse me, high vehicle prices. So car prices continue to fluctuate rapidly. Here's what to keep in mind if you're buying one in 2022. So I'm not going to go into the specifics. Here's the portion that I wanted to to uh, read and it's um, it's a quote from Cox Automotive. So according to a recent report by Cox Automotive, the number of new and unsold vehicles available held steady at 1.9 million. While this was technically small improvement over last year's 1.7 million vehicle vehicles available, the numbers are still nowhere near what they used to be prior to the pandemic when there were easily 2.55 million vehicles available in July 2020, um, or 3.69 million vehicles available in July of 2019. Whoa, so, whoa, 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 whoa. I remember talking, it's kind of weird to watch to see this from hindsight, because I remember talking about the amount of vehicles that were available back then. Three point what? 3.6 million? 3.69. So 3.7 million to... 1.9 million yeah and that's my that's my point that's what i wanted to bring up so even with everything that's happening right now as far as uh interest rates and yes that's going to slow down that's what the government wants to happen and yeah that's that is going to happen the good thing that's on our side right now that's probably the biggest differ or difference between 08 and now is that back then we still had an excess of inventory. The markets just took a hit pretty much overnight. And, you know, we didn't have the SAR levels that we have now, but granted we had significantly more cars and now we have significantly less cars. So 
and there's demand and people are still employed for the most part. I know that this week's not the best example with, with uh, Meta and Twitter, but um, and those are signs of what's of what's cooking. Also, iPhone halted production of their their product and, you know, they have crazy amounts of data. So they're not doing that, you know, to sell less phones. But um, what's what you know we gotta find the the positive in things, right? And th that's that's a good that's really good for for our industry to a certain degree that the levels of inventory are as low as they are because the demand can you know that's gonna kind of come in line with the demand and offset any potential surpluses, which now you have dead weight inventory and people that don't want to buy and your demand keeps falling. So see, but. This is what I was like, the whole thought process as I was having is that that's the term that we keep using, that we have a surplus of vehicles. Like, I've heard that for all no, month. There, what, the, well, what, hang on, what? hang on. But the point is that was 2019 was when we had 3.7 million. So yeah. let's go to how many of our sales, how many of the people in the automotive space right now were in the automotive space selling cars in 2019. A significant portion of people started after everything's right. Well, like sure. all hell broke loose. We laid everybody off and then we rehired a bunch of people. So everybody thinks we have a surplus because but that's not what the, that's not what the, that's not what the, what the, when, when you, when you talk about increases in inventory, it's not that we have a surplus of inventory is that we have more inventory on the ground that we did in, in last year or the year prior. It's not moving I, as fast, but the amount of inventory is significantly less. Still. I, I, I understand. But what I'm trying to say, what I'm saying is that people are feeling like we are The conversations that I keep hearing are things like, well, I know we have a lot of vehicles right now, but you guys need to remember that. And it's like trying to convince them that to, I, ah, um, it's like trying to convince them that they need to keep pushing harder to sell cars, even if we have a lot of cars. And that comes because Everybody thinks that we have a lot of cars because nobody was around when we had 3.7 million cars. Yeah, I think what's Did happening that? in some stores, the, 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 the better run stores, in my opinion, right now are the ones that are taking the risk and they have the inventory to sell. But you have to mm -hmm. offset the new car incentives, too. It's a lot cheaper. If I'm on the floor, it's mm -hmm. better for me financially to go sell a new car than it is for me to go sell a used car. So of course I'm going to gravitate towards that. And hopefully, I mean, I don't, I can't even see, and hopefully we see that come down because if we don't have access to inventory that I don't see that going away. Um, you know what I mean? So that's where the issue is. It's, it's not that we, we have to get better at a couple of things. We have to get better at pricing our cars right now because there are still a lot of stores mm -hmm. out there that are holding gross thinking that, you know, like, dude, like start bringing your inventory prices to reality. Number one. Yeah. Number two, don't be afraid to buy inventory as long as you have a strategy to get out of your cars quickly. And number three is we have to have better conversations with our sales force and tell them like, dude, like we have inventory. Look, look at the numbers. There's two plus million less new cars. What does that mean? That, yeah, mm -hmm. you can sit around and wait for that new car, but 
you know, you're going to have less and less opportunities at bat. So, you know, there's, there's chances in the market right now to flip customers. I've said this multiple times on the show. We are in an alternative base market alternatives. We have to be looking for the alternative for our customers. We're not doing a good job at that. We're just very easy at take the order. You know what I mean? Make the spiff and, you know, and let everything else that doesn't impact me directly. Um, you know, I, I'm going to remove myself from that equation. And I think that's mm -hmm. where the, where that's where we're having issues. Yeah, I would, I would agree there. And I, the more that I um, learn about the automotive industry, the more I realize we put all of like sales guys, we put all of the effort so that this sales guy can sell a car, right? This huge industry so that this guy can sell a car. And he just goes into his job thinking that he's the shit because he can sell a car. And without fully conceptualizing the amount of time and effort it took to get that person in front of him and that vehicle in front of him. And sales guys are so reactionary and so in the moment. And it's sometimes ridiculously frustrating to try to convince them of any of this information that's that, that we're talking about right now. Like, they're like, well, we have so many cars or we don't have enough cars or all of the price of the used cars is dropping. So I'm not going to make any money off of it. Like all of the excuses that you hear all the time, because they, none of that's significant, not none of them, but a lot of sales associates don't take the time to actually learn the industry that they're in. They don't know yeah, what goes into it. Did, like it's still, I mean, I get it, man. If I was selling cars, I get it. Like, you know, like you gotta, you're going to go towards where you get the, the best opportunity, especially after two years of making, what is, what's that, that article we read the other day, the average employee at the car 000. dealership is making a hundred thousand dollars plus. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I understand it's just times are, sh are changing and we need to change with it. We need to change again. We can't be stuck in what it was because it's not like that anymore. So, um, and but it's every, also and reactionary and like you had said, we had said earlier, we, it's not like we didn't see all of this coming. We knew that it, it was going to be something that we put up with, but we're so in the moment. It's like not saving for retirement. I feel like well, I'll tell you this. This, is the, I was this is the result of not saving for retirement right here. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll tell you this. If I was in a situation where I was working at a, at a dealership that was really lean and barely, you know, was really um, um, careful about risk or a store that was taking a little bit more risk. I'd rather be in a car in a, in a dealership that has more inventory. I mean, that just makes the most sense. But as a salesperson, you have to exercise that, that um, advantage. Have you, one of the things that when you're looking at the business profile, you know, you look up, um, Ford in South Carolina. So you pull up the list on Google and it'll tell you what their inventory is on the, the levels. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I was looking at them this morning and it was like 67 <laughs> and I stopped and it was like, what's my website? <laughs> what's my, 
I wanted to make sure mine was accurate. And some yeah, of but you guys are doing it well. That was like nine. Yeah, nine. you guys have like two hundred plus cars and stuff on there. You guys are doing it well. I mean, it's just but some you, of them. Have, like some of those on that list, I was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, and you have That's a different really piece. No number. You guys have a different problem. So anyways, that's our that's our um, our automotive news for the week. Let's talk about our blog post of the week. One of the things that we're pulling one of the, our older blog posts out. Um, this is kind of your baby. You talk about this one. <laughs> I like that switcheroo there. That's that's very good. You like that. So, <laughs> Okay, so we we have um, our guest on the show today is from a company called PBS. They're um, the way that they're described to us is kind of like a Techion competitor, and so I just thought it would be um, um, fitting that we talked about a, a, a blog post that we did a few months back where we talked about open source in the automotive industry and how that is uh, something that currently is a deterrent to innovation and moving mm -hmm. forward as an industry. But at the same time, it's something that's, that's just, that, that is needed. And companies like Techion, for example, their, their, um, their whole business model is predicated on the fact that they're combining all the different aspects. I think the, the CEO mentioned in an, in an interview that, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that the automotive industry is like a smorgasbord, if you will, of all these different companies and nobody connects or talks to each other. And so um, we had this opportunity to to um, connect with PBS and have them on the show where we're going to be talking about that. So we wanted to kind of resurrect that blog post and, um, you know, uh, just Some make sure that we... Qualms. Yeah, just kind of have, you know, start that dialogue because, you know, at this stage in my career, I'm at a point now where I'm building tech for automotive uh, dealerships, which has probably been one of the most rewarding aspects of, of, of my career, but at the same time, one of the most frustrating because there's just, there's a lot of roadblocks to get things done, to connect. And if you can't connect all these different sources into one single view, then it's almost impossible to to um to paint the picture right and really help decision makers um you know make decisions within their within their their business that are going to actually move the needle forward i mean we have all these different things coming with a um you know removal of of cookies um uh, mm -hmm. ga4 is going to be launching um we have um restrictions uh, uh, yeah, all this connectivity with cars and, and you know, like the, the industry is advancing at an extremely rapid pace, but we're, we're not catching up when it comes to being able to connect all the dots. And so, um, yeah, I think this, this, is, this will be a good one. We're going to link it in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcast fix, make sure to um, check it out there. Or if you're looking at this on our YouTube channel, then just check it out on the video descriptions. There'll be a link and you can, you know, you can take a look at that and leave us a question or, or comments. Okay. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. 
That's why thousands of dealerships trust Forize to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk. Okay, so without further ado, without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, our guest of the week is Mr. Kevin Preston from PBS Systems. Hey, Kevin, what's going on, man? How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, we love uh, we love that you're here. Uh, this is going to be a really good conversation. I can already tell. Um, we kick things off with an intro. So tell us about you. Well, there's long walks on the beach, all the exciting things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess um, more than anything, I'm a I'm a process person. So I've been you know in the software industry my whole life. And um, but I kind of always took the focus of, uh, you know, looking at business process and ways that you can use technology to improve people's lives. And uh, but in the retail automotive space, it's uh, you, know, you can see by the gray hair. It's you know, 20 <laughs> so, yeah, it's been it's been quite a while. But, uh, you know, I spend all my time working with dealerships and, uh, you know, enjoying the uh, the energy of technology and, and dealerships alike. So that's, that's my world. So. Obviously, family guy, you got to support, you got to have some goals there and behind the scenes. So, yeah. Right on. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, you know, one of the things that ca caught my attention that I wanted to, which I wanted to have you on the show is because um, you guys offer similar products or if not a direct um, alternative to what Techion is doing. Hmm. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, tell us, let's start with that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the product and what it does and, and, you know, the benefits of it. And then I have, you, you know, because I have some, some very specific questions that I want to get your take on, but I want to kind of set the right stage here. Yeah. I don't know how much detail you want me to get in. I, I can take you back a, a few years, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, just talk to us about the, about the whole deal. So if, if we go, we gotta go way back. So, you know, in late eighties, PBS was an F and I company. And, and it's, it's kind of an interesting story. It was one of those, you know, like a lot of tech stories that started in the, you know, the garage, uh, the family sitting there programming stuff at night, the stuff that they sold during the day type thing. Um, but we, we actually grew to a point that three quarters of all the vehicles sold in Canada were sold on a PBS F&I system. So you kind of imagine, you know, from that perspective, you're working with the who's who and, you know, and all the big dealer, big dealer groups at the time. And that takes us to sort of the, the early 90s. From that perspective, though, you know, there really is no future as a standalone F&I company, or at least that was a perception at that time. So 95, we actually came out with the first uh, Windows-based technology in our industry. So we, we actually, you know, we were, let's say, a bleeding edge technology at that time. Um, you know, and but at this you know, same time, we took a lot of these big customers and then we put, let's say, non-proven technology in place. You know, we had we took our lumps at that point. But then we realized, mm -hmm. OK, throw all that out. Let's redesign again. And, you know, sort of a long story short, PBS has actually redesigned our software four times right from the ground up. So when you contrast others like Techion, Techion's built a product, you know, certainly right now recently. Um, we, we've also built a product recently, and this is our fourth go around at it. So the, the real difference, so 
if you look at what PBS is, we're still a family-run business, and and we represent that culture where we put dealers first, and you know we run conferences every year where we listen to what dealers have to say. So from from that side of things, you know we've got the experience of redesigning products. So those little things that that people don't think about, um, you know, we've got built into the product while we're looking at modern platform and, and the things that you know that aren't in our industry that we're bringing to the industry. So when you kind of combine, you know, technology, redesign, experience, you know, 2,400 customers and all that, it's, it's really just been a, a steady success story where year over year, you know, record on record growth with five offices now, um, you know, about 500 employees. And, you know, we're steady streaming, onboarding about 250 new customers a year. So lots of experience with dealer groups, lots of experience onboarding. That being said, there's not it's not uncommon that we'll enter into worlds that people haven't even heard of us you know and and we're okay with that because you know and i'll stop rambling here in a sec but we're okay with that because, um you know from our perspective if you've heard of us and haven't bought from us we're doing something else wrong so um you know 73 percent of everyone who looks at us ends up buying from us so it's uh, yeah so let me let, let me okay so thanks for that because i wanted to I want to talk about a couple of things, but first, let me make sure that I, before I speak, that I'm not saying something that's completely off. Sure. So am, can I assume that what you guys are doing really well is combining everything into one uh, view or one, one, one platform, like say, take your DMS, your CRM, your Google analytics, your Facebook, all these different uh, APIs and all these different portals that are all over the place and you're kind of centralizing that in one place, one view, so that you can um, look at all the information at once together combined. Is that is that the, the, the right way to describe it? Yeah, 100%. What, what our industries become riddled with is, is products and with features. Every product mm -hmm. has a database with features. So if you take the common theme here, which is your guest or customer, however you want to look at it, you put that as a core data structure, and then you put CRM, DMS, analytics, you know, BI, AI, all of the, these, these tools, you know, e-commerce, build it all into that one data structure, that, that's what we're bringing to the table. So, you know, it's very common that we'll, we'll cut out vendors, but at the same time, we have open API, we work well with others, but yeah. So here's my, here's my, my biggest take, because that, and again, maybe this is a statement of ignorance, but you're the perfect person to kind of have this conversation with. What I've found in the past, and I'm at the point in my career now that I'm developing software for dealers, which is a very exciting um, and new place for me, um, you know, because I don't know, it's just, it's cool to be able to take kind of what, what I feel has been areas of opportunity or things that I've in the past, I would have been like, Oh, it's cool if it, if it did this, or it'd be awesome if it did this. And now I'm actually building out those things. And what I found in my, in my, um, kind of, um, I don't know, entry, if you will, is that it's very difficult to get collaboration through open source. It's very difficult to get these companies to, um, I don't know, want to share and want to participate and want to truly make the dealers better. It's like they're very guarded with their information. And um, to me, Suspicious. that seems very limiting. I'm sorry, yeah. what was that, Jerry? Suspicious. Everybody's kind of suspicious. You know, because I, I get it. I mean, I understand, but 
I don't know in, from your from your take is that is that something that's unique to the automotive industry? Is that not the case at all? And I'm just knocking on the wrong doors, or is it? Or um, you know, because it seems like other industries they're more open to like, hey, you know, open source, and you know, like look at somebody like Google, like they could protect their information and be like, no, you're not, you know, their API is there. Mm -hmm. You go and use it. Facebook, the same thing. But you talk to one a, a DMS or a CRM or something like that, and it's like you got to pay these exorbitant fees and this other all this other stuff. And some companies flat out will be like, "No, why would I give you access to my information?" It, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. What, what's your take? You, well, you're you're digging deep right away here. This is uh, <laughs> I, I would say this is one of the the most interesting parts of our industry because you, you got to realize. So we have 2,400 customers. And and there's still battles with with third parties that you know who does the work who who develops this and and everybody's so protective of their their um, you know this you know the data is king right and and I think right. that's something that people have realized is that because they have the data they have the power and and everybody's forgetting that it's it's the dealer's data and what ends up happening is the dealer ends up getting caught in the middle mm -hmm. of these conversations and it's it's so unfortunate but. You know, we deal with it too, and and I, you know, we're certainly not. You know, it's not like we have ten thousand customers, but um, you know, all all we do from our perspective is we just say that we've got the API. Anybody who wants to can push to it, and we'll send data to anybody a dealer wants to. You know, obviously we got to protect it, you know, encrypt it and all that stuff, but just make it easy. And right. what ends up happening though, to be candid, you get there's these corporate machines out there that that you know and, and i won't name any names but i think we kind of all had some experience with with them that you know they they want to protect their own and rather than using our inclusive crm well if if there's a data structure they can protect and make some revenue you know with some other tool you know they're they're going to try to protect that and, and maintain their revenue streams and and it's all corporate machine driven as opposed to you know you nailed it where we should be thinking about the customer here and you know and the guest experience not you know not not this bottom line issue but that's it that's the that's the industry right now that's what it is well i like what i like what you said when you said that you take you take the customer and use use that as the as the point to create everything from and i think that we don't we don't look at it that way a lot of times in the industry well all. that's why we're all here you know we're, we're we're all here because there's that guest in the dealership that's looking for mm -hmm. some kind of a positive experience so how can we simplify that you know and our our uh, our customers so your service advisor salesperson whomever you know, when they're interacting with that customer, we want their life to be easy because it's a better guest experience. How how we get there, you know, differs store by store. Everyone's got slightly different opinions and and different opinions, you know, to your point about, you know, different third parties and stuff like that, what they want to use. That's not for us to choose. That's for us to facilitate in as comfortable a way as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know if the fallout is the, the right word, but the the repercussion of, of, of that is it's very limiting. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I feel that in the age that we are right now, we have all this technological capabilities, mm -hmm. but we're not able to fully. Um, um, we're not able to fully, uh, how do I say it, maximize it because we don't have um, 
because we don't, we, you know, because of things like that, because of all these roadblocks and all this. I mean, um, if data is king, but you can't access the data or your data is uh, fragmented, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That's not good. That's so, failure, another failure point, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and so the person that kind of ends up paying for that is, um, is a dealer ultimately. Right. And that's, and then that makes him, makes the dealers not able to offer the full experience to their customers. You know what I mean? Or yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I'm with you. Cause the software in general, you know, being that you're in, in the world that, you know, basically somebody comes out with a feature cool feature, whatever it is, right? And then theoretically others, you know, not only match, but surpass. And then you're, you're constantly pushing life forward. And, and you're absolutely right. If, you know, if there's a battle to keep the features down, we never advance. And I, I remember 20 years ago, actually it might be a little bit more than that, but when I first got into the industry, I remember thinking, oh, you know, cars, everything's so cool, you know, modern technology, I get, I get to work with the, you know, the, the um, salespeople of all salespeople because all, all car dealers are, you know, great guys and, and all this. But then what ended up happening, though, is you get into it and you realize, holy smokes, we, you know, at that time it was 30-year-old technology. And, and it was, it's almost like for years you could hide behind technology. And I think the last, you know, three, four years in particular has, has stopped that. I think people realize that you have to drive forward. We have to figure out mm -hmm. you know, better ways to do things always, not just because, you know, adversity strikes or there's some situation we have to deal with. Like, you know, constant improvement is critical. And I think uh, uh, we're seeing that a lot more. Um, you know, I, we used to we used to reach out to dealers regularly and, and we would successfully engage them. But what's happening now is we're seeing a lot more dealers are actually in dealer groups are seeking us and they're seeking way better ways to do things and, and they're more engaged than I think they've ever been. And yeah, that, oh yeah. Yeah. And I think it's exactly your point though, because well, and there's all sorts of you know legislation coming down the pipeline, you know, I know you know about as far as you know sure. protecting customer data and stuff. So right. you know having multiple vendors is an obstacle on its own as well. You know, mm -hmm. that's something that people are really looking at right now. Yeah, I mean the there's some uh, FTC compliance issues and we're preparing at some of the stores that that I work at that, um, you know, our, the vendors are going to have to do certain things in order to continue to be vendors, or we're not going to be able to do business with them. You know what I mean? So it just creates all kinds of issues. But, um, um, the other thing that, 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 you know, so, so yeah, so I agree that it just limits technology, but take websites, for example, we were just talking about this, uh, before you, you came into the room is, um, I, I don't get websites today, like the, the better of the worst, because they're all bad, in my opinion, the ones that I've seen, they're just WordPress websites mm -hmm. that don't have any, I don't know, man, like they just feel like we should have badass websites right now that you that are using uh, React as part of your code stack. And, um, you know, they should have like WebP, they should be able to convert these JPEG images into WebP images. Um, you know what I mean? You run a lighthouse scan on a website and the performance is you're lucky if it gets to 30% because you have a gajillion images on there that are that are not the, the best practice or the right format for a website to begin with. And then that technology legacy builds. What's what's it going to look like 10 years from now? 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Are companies like HomeNet and Beyond, are they going to update how they syndicate? Are they going to update the way that they receive information so that our websites can perform better? You know what I mean? Like I don't, or is there a company out there that's going to create a website that transforms these? Because you can grab that image and transform it into a WebP. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you can do it on the other side, but, but we don't do that here. And then we charge dealerships two, three, four thousand $4,000 for a website that, that, that is, <laughs> it's a word. I don't know, man. Like I just, that's been like my topic for the season. Like I just, I'm so frustrated with these websites. I'm just so done with them. And I feel yeah. like, you know, we're talking about WordPress and how did that start? Open source, right? Like people were able to connect and add more to it. People from all over the world and different coders, different ideas. And yes, we'll take the stuff that works and the stuff that we don't want. will you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just feel like there needs to be that, that, I don't know, that ability to take something and make it better and improve it for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. It's a funny, um, it's, we get caught up in the middle and, and I think you nailed it right there. You said a few key points the one is the, the revenue stream they get, um, you know, we're in an industry with contracts, so contracts, revenue stream. So, you know, and, and this isn't a PBS philosophy. This is what I see in the industry. Like it, it appears as though if, if I have a 72% satisfied customer with a website, you know, continue with that theme, you know, and I'm making, you know, really good money, limited development, you know, I could spend a lot more money and have an 82% satisfied customer, but a 72% satisfied customer isn't going to leave me because I got a contract. Mm -hmm. and, and I think inherently that's the problem. And then and then the, the focus isn't in, in everything we see. And, and you can kind of go across the, the product you know, providers in our industry. It almost seems like every one of them owns a core company and they have a bunch of other companies that can come in and solve a problem. So, you know, maybe not website, but if we expand it even bigger, what happens? What's the incentive to evolve this product or this functionality at a core level when I, I'm going to erode another revenue stream I've got from another company that mm -hmm. I might under my umbrella? So I find that more than anything, that's that's what's defeating the industry because people are making a lot of money doing very limited and you don't want to erode your own business. And I, right. I think that's why you know, our story is so well received because we at least give a, a, an alternative choice in a proven environment. And, but at the same time, you know, we're, we still play in that same game. I, we, um, we have a competitor, you know, there was a deal recently that I got engaged in. Basically the DMS was being given away because they wanted to maintain the data structure to sell the other companies. I remember specifically, I quoted the dealer and I said, well, the challenge I have is I don't have 25 other companies that I can come in and sell you stuff with, you know, I need to stand by this right now. I think there's a lot of value we're providing that's going to save you from that. But at the same time, we deal specifically in that one moment and that one interaction. I think that's where, you know, th that's the problem with the industry, you know, and, and a few examples in there anyway. But yeah, I love yeah, the industry. No. I'm here because I love it. There's no big problems with the industry, but no. But that's why we have to have these conversations, right? Because we got we have to. So, so here's here's the thing. Like, we're, for all that we talk about the lack of of technology or resources or open source and all these things, dealers still pay the bill, right? And they're mm -hmm. not they're not exactly asking for better. Yeah. So somebody has to start bringing these conversations to light. Somebody needs to have these needs to be like, hey, wait. 
I pay $4,000 a month for a website that I have to also pay you more money so that it's technically sound on the SEO side, because otherwise, the, technically, my schema markup, my, my title tags, all that stuff's going to be out of whack. What? Like, you know what I mean? On the CRM side, I pay you $2,800 a month, but my CRM can't do a trend report or my CRM can't tell me who my vendors are and what the contact for that vendor is and how to get into that vendor portal with an easy click of a button. I can't tell me, you know, CRM. what my cost per sale is, what my cost per lead is. It can't do any of that stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. my CRM marks duplicate leads bad. <laughs> instead of telling me hey that customer that you've got an active lead on from is AI, hot they just put a new lead in <laughs> this marks right. bad and yeah. then you call them and you say hey can we fix this now sorry there's no you fix know, for it's that. Just, yeah it's just these these little things that and then who puts this stuff together like at a dealers mm -hmm. at a dealership level who takes all this information and throws out the crap and actually gives the decision makers the stuff that they can use to, I don't know, make better decisions. Like, you know, what vendors work, what vendors don't work, you know, what cars to stock, what cars not to stock, you know, pricing. What about, what about, um, your customers and your DMS there? That's your lowest hanging fruit. What are the strategies from a DMS standpoint that allows you to, I don't know, re-engage with those customers. If the, if the, I said this on the episode the other day and I stand by it. If the purchasing journal or journey, excuse me, is all this and you end up on a car, right? Because there's so many different places in the research path to get to the car that you actually buy. The ownership journey is a straight line because you know that customer bought this car and at this point they're going to need service and at this point they're going to need tires and at this point they're going to need to know what their vehicle is worth and then at this point they're going to probably want to get rid of that car like we know that stuff but the systems don't they're not built to make that i think about the when i order dominoes right and it has a tracker like our mm -hmm. system should be like that post-purchase hey Juan's making your pizza and Dave's got the pizza in the oven and, and, and uh, uh, Stephanie's out for delivery. And you can see that. You can see that whole thing in a tracker. Like that's mm -hmm. the way that the, that should be after the customer buys the car. It should you're, you're, hidden, you're absolutely right. And you're hitting some interesting stuff because there's two things. One is barrier to entry. When you talk about, you know, CRM, for example, you know, the, we, we uh, I got an example, you know, there's one OEM I can remember about a decade ago that, you know, we had this great story with them. You know, we we're talking to them at a high executive level, all inclusive CRM, DMS, this whole thing. And, and they're really pumped up about it. But then what happened is we started deploying and then we realized, well, we can't get leads. And, you know, so I can't get leads. Well, you got to go through a separate department for CRM certification. And, and so, you know, obviously we, we know all that for all OEMs, but that's one of the issues is that you might have all the best thing in the world, but you have to go through the process mm -hmm. to become, you know, if I can't get, e if I can't get internet leads from the OEM, all the other stuff I do, it, it's not as exciting because, you know, there's a, there's a huge obstacle there. So, so the good news is now we, we have all that, but, but I'm just thinking back as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the journeys that we had to go because we can't just go to you know any OEM and say, by the way, 
CRM, DMS, e-commerce, um, you know, all your your parts dreams come true. Like we can't go tell that story because mm-hmm. I have to tell that story seven or eight different times and and you know get everyone excited. So instantly we're put in silos again, which I think leads to the tail end of what you're talking about, where you're right. Like we, we call it the, the guest, you know, the guest experience or you know, customer lifecycle management. It doesn't matter if they enter in parts or service or sales. We need to create a journey for them around our enterprise. And mm-hmm. when I got multiple stores, my enterprise is, is bigger than just, you know, the, the bricks and mortar I have around me right now. So, you know, we need to expand beyond that. And it's hard to do that when I have, you know, to your point, I have somebody over here using this CRM. I have this person over here doing this service marketing engine. I have this e-commerce platform and then I have this web platform and then I have this desking tool. Plus, I have a DMS. I'm trying to bring it all together in. That's the stuff that we experience. And, and because they're different platforms, it's hard enough for a lot of these systems out there in our experience to even talk to themselves because they have right. multiple data structures. So, you know, step one, cleanse the data structure into a single platform. And then step two, build the functionality around it so you don't have to communicate. You know, and, and, and I won't cliche you to death, but I, I kind of tell our sales team all the time, like we don't use the word integration because integration implies tying two things together. You can't tie two things together if you're truly one environment right. around an entire guest experience, you know, regardless of your entry point into it. So, well, yeah, so go back I, to, to go, sorry, go back no, go to the, the cost of entry into the market, right? Mm-hmm. You, when, when the cost is so high to get in, all of those new fresh minds that are out there, those that this generation that's coming in that has never experienced life without without mm-hmm. a computer or a phone, right? They think mm-hmm. about things entirely different than we do. They see they see solutions to problems that we probably will never conceptualize. And then they're inhibited by the fact that they can't, they have to jump all of these hurdles all the well, time. See, I would I would say the opposite. I would say that the cost of entry is so low, and that's why there's so many different companies. Because mm-hmm you build something, you build a widget, and then you go and you sell it and dealers buy it. Right. I mean, that's just what, that's how it goes. And then they get on this, on this recurring revenue stream. And I mean, I don't know, let's say you make a a widget and you sell it for 300 bucks and the dealership, you know, you get a thousand dealers buying it at 300 bucks a pop every single month. I mean, that's real money right? That's coming in. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's three people that work at your company. Well, right. Except then, but those are, that's the piecemeal again, you get a little bit here and a little bit there, but if you want to become exactly, one of the big and that's dogs, the issue. If you want to become one of the big dogs, like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and affect a CRM or a DMS and, and you have ideas and solutions that to go with those things, that's, that's a whole different story. Sure, sure, no question about that. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. That part is is crazy. And some of these, you know, forty thousand dollars or something just to get certified mm-hmm. on it. I mean, come on. That's and that's really doing. inhibiting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but only in the process, the, the you know the 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 time to to build those connections and testing. It's. Uh, I mean, we spend millions of dollars a year now. You know, maintaining um, our OEM relationships, which which is great because we stay engaged and we stay at the forefront. We do a lot of pilot stuff, which is kind of neat, but, um, you know, but it was, it was tough haul getting there. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like we woke up one morning and had all certifications, you know, we, we, we got there through a lot of hard work and, you know, basically 
old school making friends. And, you know, so it, um, you know, when I look back on it now, I think, well, geez, that was a heck of a lot of work when you're in it, you know, you kind of feel like you're pounding your head against the wall at times. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I think about, I oft, often, and I know everybody uses Amazon as a point of comparison, but how, what do you think Jeff Bezos did and his team did for the first 10 years of Amazon? Like, I, obviously, they were selling stuff. I get that. But don't you think that they were building a badass website, like a badass website that knows everything you do when you're on there? It tracks everything. It, it's super intuitive. It connects with everything. Like, and they've just been, they've continued to build and build on that for, you know, since inception. But I have to believe that the first 10 years, it was all about how can we make the website the best freaking thing that learns and knows and anticipates and does all these things um, in order to create that, that digital experience that, that, we, that exists today. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where the, that's where the biggest miss is. In my opinion, we talk about the experience as an industry. We talk about, you know, making things easy for the customer and all this stuff, but we don't deliver on any of it digitally. I mean, go to a website right now. It's the equivalent of walking into a dealership and having a member of each department come to you and be like, Hey, I got the special for service. Hey, I got the special for the car. Hey, give me your phone number over here. Hey, you know what I mean? It's just the worst. And it, mm -hmm. and a website and it's just, we're just talking cars here, a website like Amazon that has everything, all any, any kind of product you can possibly imagine. It's the smoothest, easiest way to buy anything. So I don't get, and, and the, the biggest part is that we don't connect. Like why doesn't our website connect and tell me, Hey, Okay, my car appears here. You like this car? Boom, something appears. Hey, why don't you put these parts, these accessories on your car? Would look really good. And this stuff over here, and this is the plan that you can get for your financing and does all these things if all these systems were talking to each other and interconnected and you could extract information. Boom, there you go. You could put your like what iPacket is doing right now with service and brochures and all this stuff. But it's just it's almost impossible to do in, in our in our space. Mm -hmm. Because nothing talks to each other and nobody wants to like, you know, build it and nobody wants to connect with the other thing. And it's just, it's just shitty. Excuse my French, but I mean, it's just not, it's not good. What, what you're, what I like what you're saying is the, um, it's the, it's the unseen work that's behind the scenes. You know, we've got, um, I, I don't know, huge development team, you know, sitting at our headquarters in Calgary and, um, you know, a, a lot of times I'll, I'll walk by and, you know, I'm, I'm a sales guy, you know, so I walk by and I ask them, you know, what's new, you know, what's flashy and, and the stuff they get excited about is actually a lot of the core stuff, the, 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 what you're talking about, like how streamlined data, how you streamline all that information flow. And then we, we've had machine learning algorithms running and AI, you know, platforms running for years, which is doing exactly what you're talking about, starting to trend behaviors. You know, so I, I, I know what tendencies people will have based on the data that we've got. And we can use that from a marketing perspective where you're going to shake your head at me right now is we're not in the website business. So I have all that data. I have everything you're talking about, but we don't we don't we don't have the, the web platform that we can extend that to. We have, you know, you, you have a digital experience that you can embed. But to your point, now we're still relying on somebody else at, at a bit of a starting point. Right. right? And it's. Um, 
which is exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, I really hope that it gets better, man, because I think that there's a lot of cool things that we're missing out on from a digital experience point, because I do like to differ differentiate the two. I think there's a, a in-person experience and there's a digital experience and the two need to meet at some point. But I just think that the digital experience, if you go, here's, here's, here's the best way to, to say it. If you go to 10 dealer, dealership websites and you get the same feeling from all 10, that's the problem in the industry right there. That's you know, the, the problem. Little, the little pop-up chat that has the same face with the, the two computers. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the that? same employee at all 10 dealerships. Yeah. I, 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 I yeah. texted a buddy of mine the other day because I said, wow, this person looks exactly like your competitor down the street. <laughs> <laughs> you should be concerned. I think they... Uh... Her <laughs> work to be done there yeah <laughs> yeah so but 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 the but the and that's just the final part of it kevin because it unless all the stuff in the background talks to each other like mm -hmm. the your inventory management system your crm your dms your analytics your your social platforms your marketing platforms unless they all talk to each other delivering that experience is not going to happen it's impossible unless you do kind of like a techion or what you guys do where you're already providing those services and then you just now you just put it in front of a of a facing a consumer facing platform but you have all the back end connections to make sure that that you can build something that's truly unique and different. I don't know man I just I just think that I mean it already exists like Amazon has that. Um Walmart has that. Target has that has those things. Right? And so it's not like what I'm saying is something that's impossible to to create it's just that i don't know for some reason in the automotive space we haven't thought about it yet we or we haven't put those pieces together or nobody's really willing to cut into it like you said earlier because it, it buys into other services that they offer like for instance and again i know i'm really website specific but it's because everything should connect to ultimately mm -hmm. offer that experience but why can you not have a a program on your website that runs up google ad or a facebook ad it's totally yeah. doable. You can do it through API. It's not hard to do. Push up a button. You can go to a specific car on the back end portal, click the button, boom, ads created. But website companies will never do that because what else do website companies sell? SEM and social media. And if you allow the customer to do that, guess what? You can't charge them. Management exactly. fees. You, you know went, what I mean? You went, so, exactly, you, you went exactly where I was thinking there because Fundamentally, you know, we talked earlier about data being king and people profiting from data. So, so let's say I had all this data and, you know, this is, again, it's not a PBS philosophy, but if I had all this data and I knew that I could make, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars a month just because I already have the data, you know, why would I spend any money developing anything with that data if I can rely on somebody else who's going to pay me that money to do nothing? It, it, it cannibalizes itself. And that's that's a challenge. So and, and you're you're hitting all of our soft spots because this is why people buy from us, because we, you should not hold people hostage for data. And, mm -hmm. and, this is, and that's the you know, to your whole point, that's the starting point to it is the data exists. And, you know, to your point about Amazon, all this, well, they didn't have to rely on anyone else because they carried all the data elements themselves. And it was right. They built world. it from from scratch. Exactly. In in our world, you know, DMS data generally has, you know, the core elements and, and we know, you know, sales, transactional information, accessories, service experiences. We know trending, all that stuff. So everyone in our world and, and again, you know, 20 some thousand dealerships around North America, 
you know, we only have that, you know, 2,400. So there's others that have much more market share that, that hold that data for profit. And so that's inherent. There's your problem right there is, you know, we need to strip that back. And, and there's been some stuff, you know, historically that I'm, I'm sure you're aware of where, you know, they were, let's say, not as um, allowed to, you know, hold that back. And I think, you know, people are starting to understand the third party data agreements a little bit more than they used to. So dealers are starting to fight back a little bit, mm-hmm. which is good. But until that data becomes more accessible for everybody, I think we're, we're still going to have that same situation because they make too much money to do nothing. You know, whereas Absolutely. the difference there to kind of contrast in our world is we're, we're you know, half our company is geared around onboarding new customers. So what, what we do is we use those things because we're going to make more money by onboarding more customers, you know, to gain more market share. So we have an incentive to use data in a dealer's favor. Um, but if you're maxed out in market share and, and you're just kind of trading business, you don't have that incentive. You need to retain that profit. And I think that's where you're seeing um, a lot of the challenge. So until, you know, hopefully one day we get up to 15,000, I'm still telling you we're really good and really friendly with data. You know, I think that's the kind of game changer you need is you need that that mass market share around data. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I, I yeah. Um I hope, man. I hope that we can we can um, look at look at this as a, a betterment for the industry and start making the right plays and the right moves because um, it does. It's it's starting to feel a little bit like I don't know, man. Like I said earlier, like we should have better, man. I don't I don't know how else to say it. Like it just feels like we should have better, and it should be uh, uh, it should be. The technology that exists should make it easier. Let's just talk about marketing for a second. It should make it easier for you to have um, better marketing strategies. But oftentimes it's a lot more difficult if you don't know um, where to go and get information and where to, you know, like if you're if you don't have some sort of, you know, data analyst at your store, you're at a disadvantage Mm -hmm. because what happens is these these vendors come in and they pitch you on. Oh, look at the success that we had here. And they want to claim all the success that you have on that specific thing. And it's, you got to look at the combination of everything in order to really make sound decisions. And if you don't have somebody at your store, that's good at data and putting that painting the picture and putting that stuff together, man, there, you're just going to get, it's going to be very difficult because it's just coming from everywhere. You know, we work with, we work with a dealer group that, um, they have uh, they had a, a BI team before they were a customer. They had a BI team that had um, I think they were closing on about 50 employees in their operation. And what was really interesting about it is, you know, they, they all signed up to be, you know, BI data analysts, AI. They wanted to do all this cool you know data stuff. And um, what was funny, though, is it ended up that three quarters of all of their responsibilities were simply data cleansing, which is exactly what you're talking about. They just to try to get a purity of data, so now they could do the cool stuff they actually signed up to do. So, mm-hmm. so much of their time was devoted to that. And and it, you know, I'm trying not to turn this into a PBS sales pitch, but that was one of the cool things with PBS is it it, it was all one data structure, you know, in the end. So, you, you know, you you free up so much time to do those things that matter, you know, more. But I have I got to add to that though. Another challenge that that you see, it's this perpetual search for the fatal flaw. Okay, so mm-hmm. what, what ends up happening is you got the coolest thing in the world. Okay, so 
there's all everyone's got cool every you know everyone out there is coming to you with the coolest thing but you know the coolest thing in the world though first question is well why haven't i heard of it before you know because people don't believe well if it's that great it's been everywhere well you have to start somewhere is number one but what's interesting is you dive in when when all of the right things are said and done it, it's almost like and i don't know if this is human nature in general or the industry is maybe a little more sensitive to it but what ends up happening is there's this perpetual search there's got to be something i'm missing what don't i know that's going to surprise me later because everything i'm hearing right now sounds too good to be true right and so so it's almost like the better you are the more you hurt yourself in, in the industry as well which which has been a, a really interesting phenomenon you know we've, we've been kind of dealing with because you know there you can't show what you don't have you know what i mean so it, it becomes but i think that also holds technology back because there have been people that have entered the industry because to your point we got a lot of attention right now like private equity mines going crazy in our world because they realize exactly as you said earlier there's there's recurring revenue models long-term contracts all of the magical things that that you know make money makers happy so what what's happened with that is there's so much attention and i think a lot of people have entered with the next best thing that maybe wasn't deliverable you know they 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 didn't think through they're they're all about the flash and maybe they they forgot a little bit of the the meat that that was needed so so i think that's created some scars as well which i also think is a place to you know your comment about you know maybe what's holding some technology back as well yeah kevin thank you so much for doing this man i really appreciate it. this has been really good a really good conversation i i love the the premise of what you guys are doing um i hope that um you know, I gotta, I gotta mention something because we did write an article about Techian that I don't know, some people might not look as very favorable. And I'll kind of want to challenge you and hold you to the same standard that if you get to a place where you have all these dealers on that, you make that information available to all, right? Because it just, that's, what's going to fuel us is that's, what's going to move this industry forward. I think that we, we sometimes in, in we're just, we, and I'm not accusing you guys of any of this. I'm just saying as a whole, we we have to think about um how can we use the technology that we have available today and how and the best way to do that in my opinion is connectivity and connecting all these different points and then being able to extract from all so that we can truly create a digital experience that's different that's better and then ultimately it's going to push dealers forward so um i but i love that you guys are are doing it i love the connectivity of it i love that that um more companies are going to start looking at things holistically and hopefully with through open source initiatives and things of that nature, we can, we can see some really impressive, um, leaps forward. Mm -hmm. so, That's where the magic is. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, I appreciate the invite too. This is great. So. Yeah. So there is one question that we ask everybody that comes on the show. And that question is, where do you see the automotive industry headed in the next five years and why? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a big one. So there, there's a lot of moving parts here for sure. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, to your point here, more than ever, I think dealers are demanding technology. So I think you're, you're going to see a lot more advancement in technology. I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, strong movement away from um, legacy. I think there's going to be a lot of changes and a lot of streamlining, um, you know, happening from, you know, ultimately from a technology perspective, but a guest experience perspective, which I think is going to drive some change, you know, in dealerships. And, you know, specifically, um, you know, I can see, uh, 
you know, we've siloed ourselves with, um, you know, salespeople, F&I, you know, desk managers, all that stuff. Well, you know, to your point, if we create a good digital experience right from front to back, I think we can clean up that whole workflow and, and create, um, you know, much more simplified. So maybe I become a car guy instead of a siloed, you know, in dealership. So, so I think we're going to see a lot more creativity. And I think we're going to see a lot of people trying new things, you know, obviously, um, we're gonna have to reinvent some service as well with, um, you know, electric vehicles. So um, there's gonna be a change in flavor as far as that goes as, as well. So, so we're gonna try newer, better ways to do things, you know, obviously, gas stations are gonna go away. So we'll see some changes there at, at some yeah. point, too. But we'll, we'll just follow EU for there, because I think they were announcing nothing by uh, 2035. So that, that might be a little further projection. But, uh, but at the same time, I, I think you're just gonna see more um, you know, where I said historically we could hide behind technology, we're going to see much more quick technology advancements in the next five years. And, and I, I think people are just, you know, to your point, they're tired of waiting for, for stuff. They're demanding better technology, quicker, you know, better guest experience and, um, you know, open platforms. So, so I think we'll get there. Um, but we're also going to see elimination of, of some, um, you know, vendors as well, because, they're they're not just going to close their doors there's there's too much private equity money that's bought in and too much investment so it it has to change so you're going to see some you know i, I i'm going to go on a limb here I, I actually predicted that the the ucs Reynolds and Reynolds thing years ago because there wasn't room for these types of players anymore and i think you're going to see more and more of that you know kind of move a different direction i'll say it that way so so yeah. um from our perspective we're just going to create more market share I, I think in the next five years you, you know we can actually grow we've only got about 22 salespeople across north america we're gonna have 60 people on our sales team so i think more and more states are going to be exposed to us and now that we've got all oem certified you're going to see a lot more pbs presence and i'll i'll take your um your comment to heart that uh, you know, one of the biggest things that I think people need to do when they create success is to remember what it is that created that success mm -hmm. and maintain that. So, you know, one of the things we work real hard on is maintaining that friendly culture and dealer friendly environment that, you know, we want to listen, we want to improve, we're going to constantly improve and discontinuous improvement. Don't be afraid to throw technology out because, you know, don't hold on to it. You know, it's you can't be attached. You got to throw it out and start fresh. And and that's the only way you continue to evolve is take that experience and, and grow from it. So so I'll, I'll take that to heart and, we'll, you know, I'll give you the commitment right now. We're going to remain true to the uh, to that culture that's onboarding customers at the rate it is right now. So we'll, awesome. uh, we'll keep the API friendly and we'll go from there. So very cool. Love it. Kevin Preston, everybody. Great conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's all the time that we have for today. And as usual, we'll talk later. We only host the well-respected. The vendor Lexus Nexus. We don't sell digital marketing. What you do? We inspected with our DT vendor management. Now more than ever, businesses need more efficient sales. That's why thousands of dealerships trust Four Eyes to help with things like automated inventory email updates and ensuring all of your leads get into the CRM. To try Four Eyes for free, visit foureyes.io slash dealer talk. That's foureyes.io slash dealer talk.